Well, today is the third Sunday in the season of Lent, and the lectionary has us jumping back now to the beginning of Luke chapter 13, which is a passage about repentance. And that's fitting, because Lent is a season for self-examination, confession, and repentance. We think of it in terms of fasting, and fasting is a healthy spiritual practice, Um, and fasting through Lent can be especially powerful. But Lent is best observed by making war on the sinful desires and habits that prevent us from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has come to offer to us. Lent is not just about abstaining from meat or cutting back on sugar or taking a break from social media. Lent is about the destruction of sin. It's about killing our pride and self-centeredness and greed. It's about gaining mastery over our anger and lust and gluttony and sloth. It's about cultivating patience and trust. Because Jesus is victorious, and because we are filled with his spirit, repentance is a life-giving, life-affirming thing. Lent is a celebration of the victory of Christ and simultaneously a reminder that his victory came through suffering and death. If victory comes through suffering and death, then repentance is the path to true life. Now, before we get into Luke chapter 13, um, let's consider the immediate context. What is Jesus saying to these crowds at the end of chapter 12? Well, he's rebuking them. He's rebuking them for failing to rightly interpret the times. They can predict the rain, and they can predict a heat wave, but they are blind to who Jesus is, why he has come, and as we will see, the judgment that is imminent. Now, As Jesus is rebuking the crowd for not interpreting the times, the people invite him to comment upon the times. They want Jesus to analyze what's in the news. And so Jesus offers a take on a tragic story. The story involves Pontius Pilate, whose name you know from the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. His name will be spoken Every Sunday morning for the rest of human history, and not for good reasons. Pilate was the governor of Judea, and even secular history reveals that he was a volatile and vindictive sort of man. On this occasion, a group of Jews were on a pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem, and when they arrived at the temple to offer their sacrifices, Pilate Pilate sent Roman troops to slaughter them in the temple. According to Luke, Pilate mingled their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. Pilate polluted the temple. And this story was very relevant. It makes sense that the people would bring this up because at this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is leading a pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem. If Jesus isn't careful, they think, Pilate might kill him too. And of course, they're right. But let's turn to the text. Chapter 13, verse 2. Jesus says to the people, 
Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus throws another story in there. He, he reiterates his, his point by referring to yet another calamity. Verse 4, or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we have a story of Galileans dying by Roman swords. And we have a story of 18 people killed by a falling tower. Now, there was a relatively common belief at the time, especially among the Pharisees, that calamity was a punishment for sin. So many people would have assumed that the victims of these calamities somehow had it coming. And we still do this today. Um, we still have subtle ways of, of ascribing to a Christian form of karma. When we're the ones suffering, perhaps we wonder what we could have done to deserve it. And when someone else is the one suffering, perhaps we feel a sense of justification and moral superiority. But according to, according to Jesus, this is not how we should process calamity. It's true that calamity can be a form of divine judgment. The Bible is full of examples of that. But in neither case here were the victims guilty of greater sin than anyone else. So we, we are not to look upon the calamity of others and judge their sin. We are to look upon calamity and judge our own sin. Calamity should always serve as a warning sign. Repent or you will suffer the same fate. Look closely at the words of Jesus here. He does, not, he does not merely say, unless you repent, you will all perish. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That word means in the same way. You will all perish in the same way. What could Jesus mean by that? I think this takes us back to his rebuke from earlier. You can predict the weather, but you cannot interpret the times. When Jesus talks about perishing, he's not talking about what happens to people after they die. It's true that eternal life is only to be found in Christ, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's referring to something more immediate, and he's referring to a, a type of perishing that resembles the two stories mentioned in this passage. When Jesus warns the people about a coming judgment, we, we often assume that he's talking about the final judgment. But remember, Jesus is a prophet. And he is warning the people of Israel about something imminent. That is why it was so important that they interpret the times rightly. That they interpret their own times rightly. Repent now, he says, because calamity is coming. And unless you repent, you will perish in the same way. Again, what could he mean by that? 
Well, keep in mind, both of these calamities happened in Jerusalem. The Galileans were slaughtered in Jerusalem and the Tower of Siloam fell in Jerusalem. And 40 years after the events of Luke chapter 13, 40 years after this event, 40 years after Jesus gave these warnings to the people, AD 70, thousands of Jews were slaughtered by the Romans in the temple and crushed beneath the rubble of Jerusalem. The coming judgment on Jerusalem is thus prefigured by these two calamities. And we know this because we actually have a very detailed historical account of the siege and and destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. It's also worth pointing out that the Jesus followers were anticipating this calamity. And by the time the Romans came, the Christians had already fled the city of Jerusalem. And so truly, by by 70 AD, the Jewish community in Jerusalem was made up almost entirely of people who had rejected Christ as their Messiah. People who had failed to repent. And just as Jesus warned, many of them perished, and many of them perished in the same way. Verse 6, and Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So like the fig tree in this parable, the people of Israel were running out of time. They could either repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance, or they would be cut down. This is the the very same message that John the baptizer was proclaiming in Luke chapter 3. Repent or be cut down. Now, there are, there are two ways to read this parable, and they, they both, I think, bring us to basically the same conclusion. Perhaps the owner of the vineyard is Jesus. For three years now, he has been coming to Jerusalem, seeking the fruit of repentance, and he has found none. But he remains willing to give Jerusalem one last chance. Or perhaps the owner of the vineyard is God the Father, which would make Jesus the gardener. Jesus has been pleading for patience on behalf of Jerusalem. But again, this is their final opportunity to repent. Either way, the gospel of Luke makes it clear that when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, it was the direct result of rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. The fig tree did not bear fruit. And so the people are are given a choice. Either repent and follow Jesus or reject him and perish. And how will they perish? Again, they will perish at the hands of Roman soldiers or they will perish as the walls of Jerusalem come crashing down upon them. It's a cheery message. So let's circle back to the beginning of this passage. Jesus is leading a pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem. 
And so the crowd shares a story with Jesus. It's a story about a pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem that ended tragically. It ended with the blood of the faithful being spilled by the Romans. And so the story was intended as a warning to Jesus and his followers. Jesus and his disciples were facing a potentially calamitous situation as they entered into Jerusalem. But Jesus responds to the crowds, to this warning, with a warning of his own. The cost of not following me will be even greater. Or in other words, whoever, should, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so again, this was immediately applicable for people in the first century. Judgment and calamity were imminent. And the need to repent was urgent. But of course, this is applicable for us too. Sooner than most of us think, we will die. The judgment and calamity of death is imminent for everyone in this room. Which means the need to repent is urgent for everyone in this room. No matter what, we, we are all going to perish. The question is, will we, will we perish to our own sin and pride and selfish autonomy and choose to follow Jesus? Or will we reject Jesus? and perish apart from him? Will we die the death of repentance and so find life? Or will we die the death of unrepentance and perish apart from Christ? Will we die the death of repentance and find hope in the resurrection? Or will we die the death of unrepentance and perish without hope? You see, we cannot afford not to join the pilgrimage that Jesus is leading. We cannot afford not to do that. It looks deadly, but it's the only safe option. Judgment and calamity are coming, but in Christ we are held safe and secure. Judgment and calamity are coming, but as Andy taught us last week, Jesus desires to gather us together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, safe and secure. And what qualifies Jesus to be this place of shelter for us? Well, 40 years prior to the judgment and calamity that fell upon Jerusalem, judgment and calamity fell upon Jesus in Jerusalem. Like the Galilean pilgrims, Jesus was slaughtered by Roman soldiers. His blood didn't just mingle with the sacrifice. His blood was the sacrifice. And so Christ having gone before us, Christ having suffered judgment and calamity on our behalf, our only hope is to take shelter under the shadow of his wings. Our only hope is to join his pilgrimage. Our only hope is to flee the old Jerusalem in favor of the new. The city that God is building. As it says in Hebrews 11, we look to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And again, Hebrews 12, we have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This is talking about the church. And so the call today is a call to repentance. At the last trumpet, the dead will be raised and the earth will be judged. The owner of the vineyard is patient, but the day of reckoning will come. So we should hear the words of Peter. The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is patient with us. Do not try his patience. His judgment is being delayed. And the only safe option is to seek refuge under the shelter, the shadow of his wings. The only safe option is to repent and to join the pilgrimage Jesus is leading. Repentance may appear dark and deadly, but losing your life for the sake of Jesus is the only way to save it. Again, that's what Lent is all about. As I said earlier, fasting through Lent can be powerful, but Lent is best observed by making war on the sinful desires and habits that prevent us from experiencing the abundant life Jesus has come to to give to us. Jesus was victorious, even though his victory came through suffering and death. And because we are filled with his spirit, and because that is the kind of kingdom we belong to, repentance actually animates us. Repentance gives us life. So whatever you are after, whatever you're after, whether it's power apart from Christ or glory apart from Christ or wealth apart from Christ or comfort apart from Christ or safety apart from Christ or anything at all apart from Christ, abandon that thing. Repent. Turn away from it. Give it up. Join the pilgrimage that Jesus is leading on the way to a new Jerusalem. And all of those things will be added unto you, he says. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience. We thank you that you are patient. Not wishing that any should perish. Please give to us a spirit of repentance. Jesus, you, you perished in Jerusalem at the hand of the Romans. And you perished so that we wouldn't have to. So thank you. Um, we, we seek refuge under the shadow of your loving and all-powerful wings. Holy Spirit, convict us of our sin. And lead us to repent so that we can know uh, true and abundant life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.